This is the Beer and Pubcast. Speaking up for British beer and pubs. Hello and welcome to the Beer and Pubcast, the regular podcast from the British Beer and Pub Association. I'm Steve Livins, Policy Manager at the British Beer and Pub Association, and I'll be your host today. I'm joined by Laura Willoughby, co-founder of Club Soda, and Tristan O'Hanna, editor of Pub and Bar magazine. Today, we're going to focus on low and no alcohol, and specifically low and no beer. Now, we all know that low and no is a a growing market, but, but what's driving this? And how can beer get a slice of that cake? What makes a good low and no beer? First, though, to understand why low and no beer alcohol is a growing market, I'd like Laura to give an overview about Club Soda. And I know that they do an awful lot to promote mindful drinking. Uh, so um, I described Club Soda as a mindful drinking movement, and it basically started because I gave up drinking about seven and a half years ago and realised there was something needed a bit more like Weight Watchers, but with booze, where anyone who wanted to change their drinking habits could have some support and help to do a self-guided journey. But what happened really quickly was that people started to moan about the lack of no and low alcohol drinks in pubs, which five years ago, there wasn't really very much. And all our members still like going out to pubs and bars and restaurants. And so we did a little bit of research around why that was just at the point where some of the new wave of alcohol-free drinks came onto the market. And so we've sort of developed this expertise around this new sector in drinks, but also about helping pubs understand why they might want to serve their non-drinking customers a little bit better. So our overall goal is to create a world where nobody feels out of place if they're not drinking. Interesting. Um, Tristan, you're editor of uh, Pub and Bar magazine, quite a keen observer of uh, of uh, the drinks market. What, uh, what examples of uh, growing trend of mindful drinking have, uh, have stuck out to you particularly? Um, I suppose the reaction from the bigger brewers, I mean, I think what, what Laura's just talked about is is um, indicative of what the consumers were demanding. Um, obviously, we're a trade publication, so we go out to the operators within the industry. Um, so we try and inform them through our content about what would be um, best to stock, what consumers are up to, that sort of thing. Um, and I remember three or four years ago, maybe even five, just talking about the fact that the lime and soda was still kind of the, the go-to option for anyone that wasn't drinking alcohol in the pub at that time. And whether that's because of preference or just lack of choice or just they're on autopilot every single time. Um, it was just something that wasn't ever sort of um, being moved on from. Um, in the past few years, as I said, all these things have just started coming through. Um, Heineken 00, I think, was a game changer. Um, all the taste tests we did at the launches of that was probably the most um, surprising load of journalists and beer experts in the room. Um, most of them are quite fooled in terms of being given um, Heineken Classic versus Heineken 00. Um, in terms of the trends coming through from that, I think um, Laura talked about the mindful part of uh, zero alcohol drinks, and I think whether it's a case of body and mind and the whole mental health issue that's going around, that'd be one thing to look at. But then if you come back to sort of things from um, what the on-trade is actually doing in terms of experiential economy, mm-hmm. people aren't necessarily out. I mean, are the binge drinking generation still here? I don't think they are. I mean, I think I was probably the tail end of that, and um, we've kind of grown up a little bit now, and I think the guys that are coming through behind it looking for a bit more choice, a bit more flexibility and less about, you know, getting blind drunk and uh, not really remembering what happened in their evening. 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And and there is that that kind of side of it. I think that there is the mindful side. There is that sort of responsibility side, almost the, the you know, uh, considerations about your health and uh, whether you are looking to uh, reduce your alcohol consumption in some form. And these products provide a, a really good alternative for uh, for that, or a really good choice for for those that want to do that kind of thing. I think so. Yeah, um, we had um, the guys from Michelob sponsoring one of our events uh, this year, the National Pub and Bar Awards, and. Uh, because we hold that at BAFTA, we are allowed to kind of have um, a big screen kind of intro for all of the sponsors that are there. They've given some time to showcase their brands and their advertisement for that particular product with the, the zero alcohol um, version was guys in the gym, guys kind of being fit and healthy with all their friends smiling, laughing, and none of them actually kind of consuming any alcohol. And it's kind of that whole lifestyle of this is almost good for you. It's um, It's gone the complete well, opposite way. It is, though. I always say to people, next to water, the healthiest thing you can drink in the pub is a beer. And we shouldn't underestimate that the reason why this is different, I think, is because it's a perfect storm of different things happening in society that mean it's not only cross-generational. So I'm at, I, I was at the lead of the binge drinking generation. I felt good like for that. You. Yeah, that was my, <laughs> I'm that ladette generation that felt that equality was all about having a pint in your hand. And so um, the motivations are slightly different amongst age groups. And there's lots of different motivations in there, but there are lots of them, which is why this probably makes it a very fertile and growing market. Yeah. And obviously with the events such as Dry January and so October, I think never underestimate the power of a national kind of campaign um, for people to get behind so it will increase the category growth. But a sugar-free diet is is probably also, don't underestimate that as a massive driver and why beer fits beautifully into this space. And it's, uh, it's, it's, Kind of fascinating from the point of view of uh, of, of uh, consumer understanding and some of the misconceptions that we often associate with uh, with beer, particularly um, that uh, the, the the ability to talk about an alcohol free product as being something which is essentially the same as beer in every other form except for its alcohol strength gives us a good way to educate and and, and sort of uh, address some of those misconceptions, particularly things like sugar content. I mean, that's often often one of the, yeah. the sort of bigger parts of uh, misunderstanding of beer, I think. And and actually, it's a big mind shift for both venues and the industry. So the industry's not been allowed to talk about health at all, but now there is a narrative around health and it's clearly feeling uncomfortable about it and not sure what to do, um, which, you know, leads me to question, you know, how we need to bring others inside this, into this conversation. Um, and then bar staff aren't used to talking about health either. They're not used to saying, wow, this has got this many calories and this has only got three ingredients and is sugar-free and is low in carbs and great for you if you've got um, diabetes and all of those things. They're not conversations you're used to having. And it's a big switch. You know, we, we hadn't, we haven't really had to learn to sell alcohol. It's been around for a very long time. Being able to sell adult alcohol-free drinks is a whole new ball game and one that will take a little bit of getting used to, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, completely agree with that in terms of we're being approached by many uh, independent uh, zero alcohol brands at the moment as to what we can do to help them start engaging that conversation with the operators, the pub and bar operators out there. And we're having to kind of actively go to these guys face to face and say, come on, give this a try. There's still, I think, that education encouragement needed to, to get people um, pushing forward. You need to see our report that we just did for the, the Brewers Research and Education Fund because we go through what all of those hurdles are and where we need to do some more. And you talk about uh, you talk about um, uh, um, uh, experience and, and and choice and diversity. I mean, uh, how, how uh, are there any particular sort of um, are there any particular innovations or, or, or new product developments that that sort of uh, spring to mind uh, in terms of the way that these products are, are sort of put forward, the, the, the ones that come to market? 
Um, putting it on draft is is the next big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, people are de- both in terms of price point, um, visibility on the bar, and also the fact there's a lot of people who like to hold a pint in their hands, I think is really important. So you're now seeing all of the brands going out. So um, Adnams, Ghost Ships on draft, you've got the Heineken on on a blade, you've got Big Drop going in on draft, and 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 they're all they're all going there. Now it's about competing for that space, I guess, on on the bar top um, in order to do that. But that then also lends itself well to the festivals and all of those sort of things. And, you know, it's really important for me that this isn't about creating a separate space, uh, which is all about being alcohol free. It's about having these products as a mainstream option on the bar for everybody. So when you go to a festival, you can pick up a can of alcohol free beer at the same place as you pick up alcohol and so on. It's not about separating it out, although at the minute we do need to be able to talk about these products in this space and educate the consumer in a different way. And yeah, perhaps not making a big deal about the fact they are zero, because I think like, like Laura says, the uh, the space in that bar is a premium. And I think as a consumer, you know, you walk up and if you kind of nosy over the top of the bar to look at the fridges, you're almost kind of like, yeah, you're right, mate, can help you. Whereas if you're just looking at the pumps that are there, they kind of give you a bit more time and a bit more freedom there. And I think if that's front and centre, that can only be a good thing. I was going to I was going to ask really, I mean, I mean, uh, taking the point about um uh, kind of identifying specifically as 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 being an alcohol-free version or an alcohol version of <coughs> something which is uh, more standard strength or whatever. Um, you know, does beer suit this side of the, the 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 market particularly, or is there opportunities there for other drinks as well? Um, do they perform as well? Do they sit as well in that space? I think beer has a longer history of being known as having a low or no strength option, and so it's a bit of uh, it's less of a hard sell to the public than a spirit or a wine. But I've I've also learned a new phrase in the last couple of weeks, which is mimic and analog. So at the minute, there's lots of mimics, particularly, you know, people talking about an alcohol-free gin and alcohol-free um, uh, uh, spirit. And, and I think those are necessary at the minute in this space because people still navigate by what they know about alcohol. It's one of the big bits of learning we got from our research and why we've, the Club Soda Guide is, is, um, separated by the categories that you would know so beer cider wines and spirits so at the minute we need to have mimics that create a new dialogue around this stuff so people understand where the product fits in but over time i suspect we'll get to new products in this space and for beer producers that isn't only about beer you know um um, hop teas are coming through so hop based sodas um and using those brewing skills to create new drinks in this space i think is what's going to happen um, as well. And those are not mimics. Those are completely new um, products made with brewing methods in their own right. And they will they will begin to find their place behind the bar. I was fortunate enough to be on a trip in uh, just north of San Francisco with the guys from Lagunitas and, and Heineken, obviously, a couple of weeks ago. And they've got a product out there, which they're nervous to bring to the UK market um, called Hoppy Refresher or Hop Refresher. And they call it hot water because it's not a beer, it's a water, it's, it's, it's meant to hydrate. But they've got some of their key and classy hops in there as well um game changer for me i mean yeah i'm often a consumer on as well as a professional within this industry and if i want a beer i kind of want a beer and if i want an alternative to beer i don't necessarily want a direct replication of it and the hot water was was something where i was oh my word that's that's gonna hydrate me it's it's a decent replacement. It tastes good. The hops you can really pull out of it. And um, I think something like that coming to the UK can only be a good thing. Yeah, so Cloudwater did yeah. a, had their prototype at the festival of their soda. And I have to say it really um, hit my buttons because it's not sugary, it's not sweet, but it also feels like it's a very well-made and crafted product. And mm. so 
So it's going to be an exciting time, but also very disorientating because these are new things. Um, and there's all sorts of questions around, do we keep age ID on them? Um, and what's a soda and what's an alcohol-free beer? And and some of those questions, there might even be some legislation that begins to to hit as new new ingredients are used. And um, dare I say the word CBD, but that, that coming into use in alcohol-free products. So, so again, um, a lot of new stuff and a lot of new questions, but that keeps it all exciting, doesn't it? Definitely. And, and come, on, sorry, come back to your well, the category <coughs> opportunities and where the beer lends itself more to, to the zero and, and low alcohol um, alternatives. I think the guys who've just started pushing out all the craft cocktails have maybe got a bit of an easier journey into it because if you think of, let's say, Be at One and some of the guys like Adventure Bars, for example, and what they're doing with their cocktail bars at the moment, there is so much sugar and fruit in it, pretty much every single drink behind those bars that can the consumer really taste the alcohol in it? You'd argue maybe not. So the, the ready-to-drinks that are coming out where they're adult craft cocktails with zero zero against it, that could be a thing which I think will turn a lot more people's heads who aren't usually looking for a beer to drink. Interesting. And uh, Laura, you, you've brought some beers with you today, I think. Um, I have some beers and some and some soft brews, actually. I didn't just stick with the beers. Interesting. So do you want to talk us through what you've got here, which I think kind of uh, having having sort of seen a little Ooh, few earlier on, they're, they're quite a nice example of that that range and that diversity that's in the market at the moment. Yeah. So I've um, so you've got a range between zero zero and zero point five. Um, but oh, actually, and I've got a small bit here, which is this is their one percent dark lager. Um, so Laura, can I just quickly ask you while it pops into yeah. my head? You say you don't drink anymore. No. Does as someone who doesn't, is it zero point five still classed as not drinking? Yes. So for most consumers, you'd think that would be the case. Yes. I mean, we could do a whole program just on that. And okay. I can see Steve looking panicked right <laughs> Sorry, now. Steve. He's going, please don't get Laura on the labelling issue. Okay. But, you know, a banana is about 0.3%. If you leave a carton of orange juice in your fridge open, it will, will get to that much. You, you've got quite a lot of alcohol in your own stomach um, by comparison to these because you naturally ferment. I know no one likes to admit they do, but you do. Um, so, um, cool, and I, this I, is, I digress. Yeah, this, but this is no, part of no. the, but bar staff are asked this question all the time and there isn't an industry standard answer to this because the government haven't got a government standard answer to this yet. And actually, I've been talking to Steve recently about the fact that how is it that alcohol-free beer is so ubiquitous in Spain and Germany and we don't have that same issue here? And that's because there isn't a consistent message around what's alcohol-free and that hasn't been sung from the the rafters by driving organisations, pregnancy organisations, health bodies and all of that sort of stuff. And that's actually what we need here in the UK at the moment. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that the, the UK is really pretty much the only market in the world where alcohol-free isn't defined at 0.5%. Uh, we have a very, very stringent, much, much lower definition of uh, of that than, than virtually anybody else. Yeah, it, it, well, it shows you how historic some of our legislation is, to be honest, and yeah. we're hopefully going to change that. But Parliament's been a bit busy with something right now, and it's got in the way of all the legislation. <laughs> Let's definitely not get into that. No. Um, so talk us through, what, what what have you got there on the table? Uh, so I've got Heineken Zero, so we've already talked about that. I've got a small beer, um, and actually um, low alcohol beer is really interesting. Um, the consumer's quite binary. They, want, they know alcohol-free and they know alcohol, but they're still a little confused about low alcohol. So there's not many competitors to small beer in this space. There's a few table beers. They're popping up everywhere street. as well at the moment. Not, not yeah, yeah. And, nice, and Adrian Charles, who launched our um, beer summit last year, is a big fan of of small uh, lower strength beers um i've heard people are making shandies with full strength 
and alcohol-free Heineken and Ghost Ship, which is a really interesting mm. um, concept. I've got Nirvana. They've got a 0.0 stout. Um, but again, they're also um, very much focusing on the fact that they're vegan and all of those things. I think they're waiting for some organic approval as well. I've got Smashed Hops, which is actually um, a, a, a brewed soda with hops rather than a beer. But I thought it was really interesting to show that where all of those skills from the industry are coming in. I've got I've got Freestyle, um, which is another alcohol-free beer, which you might not have seen. It's just come out from um, three young lads in London who have, have just launched this. Definitely looking at the music market. Look at that beautiful label. Mm-hmm. If you want to pick that up when you're out. And then I've got Big Drops Brown Ale. And obviously Big Drop are very much going for the world craft beer that happens to be 0.5% rather than really playing on, on being alcohol-free. It, it definitely wants to put itself in that craft space. What do you want to try? I think let's let's uh, crack open uh, crack open a few and we can we can sort of spread yeah. them around. I mean, a uh, question I had for you about uh, about beers themselves and and to a certain extent the the, the acceptance of of beers at this range. I mean, uh, for a long time they were seen as being poor quality, you know, really quite sort of unpleasant alternatives to to standard strength beer. Why do you think that uh, they have seen so much acceptance today? It's got to come down to the consumer demand, um, and I think. You just need to look at the reaction to again. We mentioned the bigger guys. It's usually the bigger guys that catch up with the smaller guys in in regard to um, distribution power and getting those messaging out. And the Heineken advert with the guy being pulled over by the police officer and that going global. You know, it went viral, didn't it? It was yeah, it was really yeah. well done. Um, and I think yeah, it, it's just the guy. The fact that the customers are obviously drinking less alcohol that's dipping right those numbers are going down and the guys who are responsible for hitting those numbers across all the brewers world over they have to react to that and the product development then kicks into gear and more options seem to to hit the market i'm not sure if laura would agree but consumer demand's got to play a big part yeah absolutely and um and and we can see that just by the fact that the supermarkets wouldn't have um, such um, full shelves of this if there wasn't consumer demand. And there's still a long way to go. I also think it's a great opportunity for beer to get into some slightly different markets. So beer does still have a, a larger drinking drinking base amongst the males in this world. Um, I'm very aware that all the beer experts in our company are, are women or non-binary. So I try not to be too binary in this, but it but it is an opportunity to bring more women to beer in terms of it being a health drink um and also it, there's new markets to bring it into there's no reason why a cafe can't have some beers in their shop they don't need a license to sell them so they can have some alcohol free beers for that lunchtime trade Absolutely. um caterers and all of that sort of space and the idea that you might want to start relooking at your menus and saying okay what's a lunchtime drinks menu compared to an evening drinks menu what are we trying to push at lunchtime when we want to get people in who might be taking a break from work and don't want to drink alcohol and thinking about where these drinks play a part in that so for me it's very much also about the survival of the pub and our social spaces because at the minute if um you were not drinking as part of your cutting down strategy which is what most people are doing you'd go oh no i'm not going out tonight because i'm not drinking and i want people to go yeah yeah i'm coming out because there's something to drink and that's really important it's a whole ethos behind try january instead of dry january isn't it just like don't abstain from it come down and try something new well you're not doing it properly for staying at home anyway absolutely Do you think um, do you think there are sort of any any sort of particular tricks that uh, uh, that the the trade could be sort of uh, 
could be using to 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 look at that how they offer these products to, to consumers yeah without a doubt if you've got it put it on your menu it's amazing how many people don't and that's on your online menu as well because people who are driving are more likely to look in advance about what they might want to drink it really does matter to people who normally drink what they're drinking instead if they are not drinking and so drivers are, are very much in that market i think it's probably because the people that have been long-term alcohol-free I've been beaten into submission and only think there's a lime and soda. But actually, people really do care what they drink instead. Um, so do put it on your menu. The menu thing as well. But you've got small beer here. I was I was at a place called Forza Win in Peckham long ago. And they just list it on their menu. There's no ABV mention, anything like that. And everyone thinks, oh, small beer, what's that? Give it a whirl. They don't even, if you don't look at the label, then they won't even know. So why not include it in there as part of the range, like you said earlier on? Yeah, and make sure your staff have tried it and can talk about it. Yes, and yeah. when people come and ask for something alcohol-free, don't start automatically with tapping the top of that Coke gun and instead go, do you know, we've got a really good range for, for people who aren't drinking tonight. What would you like? It's it's all about that proactivity. Um, I find it ridiculous that I can go into a restaurant and ask for tap water and no other drink and nobody tries to upsell me anything to go with my food and I feel there's some great disappointment um, that they don't feel that my money's worth having um, and then January is a really good time I can tell you the curiosity around these drinks is massive so if you put on an alcohol-free beer tasting and get your customers in on an evening you can soon work out what it is that your customers want so get get the lot in get uh, get everyone tasting everyone will have a great time um, whether you do a beer tasting or even a botanicals tasting I can tell you people are really interested interesting do you think uh, do you think do you think this kind of works uh i think i think for for um uh for a long time there was a great sort of public fascination with sort of beer and food pairings um do you think that sort of uh, that still exists is that is that a way in for these kind of products as well um definitely because it definitely goes with food better than i mean you can there are still michelin star restaurants in this country that still think it's acceptable to serve coke and lemonade with their meal which just staggers me um so a good alcohol-free beer particularly the emphasis on you know um beer uh, burgers and pizzas in a lot of, of pubs and bars um you can absolutely say that there's a whole good range that can go with those so um i don't think you should be shy about offering it as a pairing option with food it's we've, we've tried so many years to write that article in pub and bar magazine every year food and drink with beer and we try and we try and we try. And there's some operators that do a really good job at it. And they have bespoke menus and there's descriptions, brief, and the staff, like you say, know exactly what they're talking about when they bring a beer over with that particular dinner. Um, we've done a few trial days with the Brewers Association. They've come over from the States with a few of the craft brewers from over there. Um, and we've been to kind of high-end restaurants to make it work. And it does work. But there's still it's almost about the education of the category as well for the operator. It's just, again, bringing that education forward and saying, your customers will enjoy it if you just give it a go. Yeah, and I wonder if that might change because wine drinking amongst a younger demographic is actually quite low. They're falling not away. drinking wine, yeah. it's falling away, and maybe beer can occupy some of that space. And it's about and it's about not just saying that we've got one drink that goes with this food. Here's a drink um that you can have if you're not drinking, here's a drink you can have if you don't like wine, and here's a wine, and here's possibly a cocktail as well, and maybe having all of those options. I can see how that might be difficult for a venue though to there's a lot of expertise. Staff training there. there, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm I'm very happy if there's a tea sommelier in a restaurant, but that's a whole nother um discussion. Mm-hmm. So do you think the uh, do you think that uh, that there's a lot more uh, need for for that kind of broader education about um, the alcohol drink sector or the way that these drinks are produced uh, within the, the sort of retail end of the business? 
I mean, from my perspective, I'd say yes, because just sampling a couple here today, there, there is a different quality to them on, on mouth, on aroma and um, enjoyability for people who aren't used to it, you'd have to say. And if that education's there, like you say, from that person behind the bar who says, right, you're going to feel this, you're going to feel this, and it's described in a positive way, then it won't be, uh, oh, that's different, I don't like it, because so many don't like change, do they? And I'm not saying force people to drink low alcohol beers, but when that time comes where they have got the car or they're with, you know, wife might be pregnant and they're not drinking perhaps you know there's that opportunity to just get them to try something else but have the ability to explain it in a concise and positive manner and it's about remembering that these are good drinks in their own right you're not trying to say to them it's why i always invite doing blind taste tests really because they're okay but you can sort of tell the difference alcohol is a flavor enhancer It, it gives body in a different way but you know, if you take trying to compare it to alcohol out of your mind and just drink the drink as a good drink, what does it do for you? I bet you it does more for you than a fizzy pop, right? In terms of your experience and how you feel in the venue and how you feel standing with your mates with the drink. And that's the important thing. I mean, it's now the time for me to admit that I never drank beer when I was drinking. But I now drink a lot of alcohol-free beer because for me, it feels like it's not a drink I drink during the day to hydrate. It feels special. It's sippable. I drink it a lot slower. It's got, you know, natural speed humps in it. So it takes me, you know, I drink at the same pace as anyone Mm. who's drinking alcohol. And so for me, it plays a really important part in my social landscape. And so I would encourage anyone to see it as beyond um, thinking of it just as a beer, but see it as, as something that's about enhancing their experience. One of the things that that, that sort of fascinates me about uh, about this is is uh, from having drunk both um, alcohol free and standard strength beers, but also um, you know having had experience of of some of the sort of forerunners of these. Um, to a certain extent, the the the, uh, the criticisms that we've had in the past about the quality, uh, the characteristics of these products is still the same. They can still be a little bit sweet. They can be. Uh, um, uh, a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit uh, strong in, 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 or upset in that balance, I suppose. Um, do you think consumers have just uh, learned to accept that as an inherent characteristic that that is just part and parcel of it? Because that feels to me like a big barrier to have gotten across. From the numbers that our operators are still reluctant to stock, I'd say there is still whether it's how they're enjoying it or there's a stigma or whatever that it, it's mm. still there and i think some of what laura's saying could be really widely adopted if more could hear about it and i guess there's, a, there's an issue around price point as well um nearly all these beers come in at the same price um and people are always interested to know why because pe- uh, the fact that there's alcohol tax is incredibly well understood as a society and having a discussion about the fact that well actually without the alcohol in it takes more to produce a good um, alcohol-free product in terms of taste to keep it stable in the bottle or in the keg and all of those sort of things. It's why Lagunitas didn't want to bring hot water over here because they don't think the UK consumer will understand why they have to pay that much for that particular product, which is in the eyes of many, just some water with some hops in it. But, but I often find not. I often find it's the, produ- the the venues that make that decision on behalf of the customer before they've even tried to talk to the customer about it. I know I save money in loads of other ways. I don't have a kebab on the way home or a KSC the following day. I don't need a taxi. Um, and my night out is important to me. And have you so been following I'm, me around? Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so my <laughs> night out is important to me. So um, I invest in my night out and I'm willing to pay for people who treat me well. Um, you know, I might not buy exactly as many drinks as the drinkers, but I now eat dessert, which I never did when I was drinking. So, you know, I, I will spend my money in other ways and I will go back in loyalty terms time and time again to a venue that I think has has really decided that my 
that my experience is worthwhile. And that loyalty point should not be underestimated. That's completely right. And we, we've just done a, a big survey with a, our, we've got a research agency called Savanta. They're partners of ours. Um, and they recently surveyed 100,000 consumers on what brands on in terms of eating out that they're most in love with and what kind of qualified as falling in love with an eating out brand. And number one point every time was value. And that's not cost. That's what they're getting for their money. And they, many don't even check the cost of something on that menu. But if their experience with the people and the product matches how much they've invested in it, then they will be happy. Yeah. And then if a member of staff's taking some time to explain that product to you, um, it's the funniest thing, really, if you think about it, because in Britain, we are probably, you know, if there was an Olympics of going to the bar, we would think we would be experts at it. But we still panic every single time. And the bar staff need to understand that that's what's happening every time somebody comes to the bar and take a little bit of time with them um, and and find the right drink for the person. And that's that's where whether it's an alcoholic brand or non-alcoholic brand, where 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 new things can come into into the light and be and be adopted a lot quicker. And you'll be loyal after that as a yeah. customer. You'll go back. Yeah, absolutely. Are there examples of, uh, of, of venues that have, have kind of taken that on board and, and, and sort of built that into their model? Yes, yeah, um, Charlotte's and W5 was probably one of the early adopters. They've got um, an amazing um, beer list that's been developed by Melissa Cole. Um, Deshoom, I really love as a venue. Um, they've got some beers on there, but they've also got, you know, alcohol-free wine and an amazing list of alcohol-free cocktails. Yeah, for them, much. it's very much part and parcel of their brand. And for them to have been so so strong on that. Draft House was one of the early five-star venues on the guide, which I thought was cool. And there's now a venue in East London called Fugitive Motel, which is basically half alcohol and half alcohol-free. And they've got 16 alcohol-free beers there and about nine kombuchas. It's just, I know that if I ever turn up there... I'd be spoiled for choice for something to drink. And they did it right. Their, their launch was heard about far and wide, wasn't it? I think they, they knew what sort of market they were entering into and they capitalised on it very successfully. And in terms of, in terms of that choice, because there is, there is an awful lot of choice around now, where do you start? Where, where do you go to if, uh, if you're looking to, uh, to sort of explore this, this sector? Well, it's easy to turn up at the supermarkets now. They've got a good range and you can just fill up your trolley and then try them all out and, and do try. I think you do, you know, you that um, it's very easy to go, oh, well, I've tried that one alcohol-free beer, so I hate all alcohol-free beers, when actually there's no point trying a lager if you were never a lager drinker to begin with. Um, but we seem to have a, a lower tolerance threshold um, when it comes to alcohol-free. So remember, it's about finding the style that's right for you. And then there's some good online services like Wise Bartender or Dry Drinker that will, you know, send you off a mixed case of a whole range of beers from all over the world. And you can happily make your way through a couple of boxes of those during January and decide that you're going to find your favorite styles and types of beer and for me um it's been really surprising i'm you know as somebody who wasn't a beer drinker now finding the beers that i really like the most has been really is part is part of the experience for me as well as part of the interest in terms of the bbpa's audience the guys who i assume are listening to this podcast um i ask you again laura because obviously we're london-based we've got we're sport for choice with uh categories leading the way down here and <laughs> Arguably, some of the bigger cities will be very close behind, if not going toe-to-toe. But a lot of the independent licensees who are out in the countryside and that sort of thing, and who probably have customers that will laugh and laugh and laugh at the idea of having a zero-alcohol beer, how how can those guys, Is it should they adopt it? And if they wanted to, where could they go to sort of start finding out more about it? I suppose the online services is a good thing to start with. Yeah, and the wholesalers are beginning to change, and so they are beginning to put them in. So do actually flick to that bit of the book. They, there's nowhere neat for them to sit. At the minute, they're still in a lot of the wholesalers' lists as 
soft drinks. So you might need to work out where to find them or um or search by brand type. And in fact, if you go on clubsodaguide.com, you can see where we're beginning to put in the wholesalers for each um, product because it's important for us, for pubs and bars, just as much as the consumer to be able to find where you can buy a product. Um, And like I said, actually, if you get a load in and invite all of your customers in January to come and do a tasting, you'll get an idea on what it is that they like and what they might want to, to have served to them. But it's a really, you know, whether you're in a rural area and people drive from the next village to your venue it's really important that you have a drink that makes that person feel happy so it this actually is is more important for rural areas than it is for the urban areas where everyone can just jump on public transport when they get home good point yeah um let's uh, let's try some of these beers i mean we, we've we've been sort of passing them around now um what uh, what have you got in front of you there laura what you... um, i wanted to try the smashed hops because i haven't uh, they also do smashed apples and so obviously i gravitated to that one first being a west country girl but um i'm really enjoying the smashed hops like i said it's not a, a, it, it's a soft brew made with hops it's got some sugar in so it's slightly sweeter so i can really see there's a very there'd be a very strong um, market for this because it just feels a little bit more approachable for somebody who doesn't like a very bitter beer and i'm enjoying i'm really enjoying it excellent and tristan what have you got there got the big drop brewing co brown ale um as we said at the beginning they kind of paved the way for a lot of the zero and, and low alcohol beers um for me it's it's quite thin compared to a lot of the brown ales you'd be used to which do have a higher alcohol volume um but you know nice and nice bit of a kind of a cacao aroma going through it as well and um something you might want to kind of have uh, towards the end of an evening I think rather than kind of kicking off an afternoon with mm. I, I've always been a big fan of dark beers and uh, uh, and in particular dark lagers and, uh, interesting the one I'm trying here this uh, small beer dark lager which is absolutely fantastic and the, the, the difference between that and a sort of Heineken Zero a, a lighter lager wonderful great sort of range of flavours in the darker beer you're getting much more of those kind of roasted toasted notes um, I don't think the alcohol concentration you're missing uh, at that stage at that point but it's bringing out some fantastic um, characteristics from the other ingredients that are used there and that uh, it's it's a lovely it's a lovely balanced beer it's wonderful for your experience Steve would you say those darker ones have a greater opportunity for those flavour profiles and, and say the light you speak of yeah I think I think that's absolutely right I think uh, as Laura said uh, already the alcohol is at the end of the day quite a big it's a flavour active part of the uh, part of the the, the, the beer and uh, to lose that is is quite a big impact so if you're going to put in something uh, to replace it it has to have that sort of equal measure uh, darker beers definitely there's a space for that but similarly I think also wheat beers and um, uh, beers that have got a sort of slightly bigger um, uh, a bigger cereal kind of note um, that, that kind of just help to, to redress that balance a little bit I um, have a similar view I don't I don't go too big on hops with this sort of thing because they tend to get quite bitter and quite big quite quickly, and that again sort of upsets that balance. Mm. Um, there's a, I think, place for it, but it's not it's not something I think that is easy then to to get in. Um, and I, I, I mean, the, these are these are fantastic because they they have achieved that sort of balance, and and it, it, it sort of contributes to the drinkability uh, of of that beer. Mm. Yeah, I'd say the same with the brown. Yeah, and I think the technology is changing. So um, Adnams is the only one that really does a dealkalization process at the minute, but I know they're not the only one going to go down that route. And a dealkalized definitely creates a different mouthfeel and flavor profile to one that's where maybe a lazy yeast has been used and, and the, that fermentation has been stopped. Um, and I can see that there's other really creative, inventive ways of producing alcohol-free beer coming through. So I, I think this is just the start and not the end, and there's a lot more to come. 
It's interesting because that that whole uh, question about the the technology that's required to create these these products and there's you know, undeniably the the quality is so much better than it has been in the past, but that that sheer diversity as well uh, of, of of styles and types varieties of, of of beer too. Do you think that's the sort of message or, or part of the message that you're trying to get across to the consumer in terms of how they see the value of these products compared with the sort of standard strength beer? Yeah, I mean, I think. They're far more educated when it comes to beer styles now, aren't they? In about uh, five, ten years previous gone. Um, and that can only lend that opportunity, I think, um, in terms of the the awareness of the styles, like you said, the darker ones and um, and the wheat beers as well. Um, and I think initially, before the, we started talking about zero uh, alcohol, there was an education there to bring people up to speed with it. Many, many different factors have meant that now consumers are so, so curious about what's going on in the beer world and those subscription services which send them 10 different styles at a time. Uh, it can only be a good thing for the fact that their their awareness and um, kind of willingness to try new things um, would lend itself nicely to this category, yes. So, I mean, what do you think, uh, the two of you, what, what do you think is next for this uh, for this category? I mean, I wrote down on the way here that draft is, is the one. I think Laura beat me to it earlier, so that's got to be one of the main things. Yeah, uh, getting it on draft, but also, um, I mean, some of the bigger chains have been very good at getting it in stock, and now we need to see that still proliferate. Oh goodness me! Uh, (laughs) One, one, one small sip of some smashed hops, and I'm all over the place. Um, But we need we need to see that happen more across the country. And you're right; it's easy to be to be in an urban bubble with in a big pub with lots of um, shelf space and fridge space. But it's a bigger challenge for venues that have got. Um, that are smaller and so beginning to think about that there's a big retail opportunity and like I said there's there's new markets to go into so all those cafes all of those caterers that that service all of those businesses across the country they you know at the minute if you go to some of the biggest biggest companies in the country in the city of London and you go to a drinks reception the alcohol free option is tango and and that has to stop right we're grown-ups yeah um uh, yeah, I won't talk about hating Tango. I don't know if they're a client of ours or not, but uh, they might be. Um, but uh, another opportunity, I, I think, and we mentioned the um, policeman advert with Heineken 00, and I think if the bigger brewers have done anything in terms of uh, garnering consumer awareness over the years, it's some of those marketing campaigns that have really just got people, like you know, Carlsberg and everything that have come out in terms of probably the best and that sort of thing. I think the opportunity there for the bigger guys to just capture people's awareness and attention through clever marketing campaigns and um heineken have done it um imbev did it with prohibition beer i think that was that made quite a decent impact at the time i'm not sure if it's still going quite strong at the moment but they've got big big teams behind those marketing uh, divisions and i think we'll probably see some more kind of clever and witty things that will get people more interested in it as well well look um unfortunately we uh, are out of time for this episode of the beer and pubcast um, just really leaves me to thank my guests, Laura Willoughby of uh, Club Soda and Tristan O'Hanna of uh, Pub and Bar Magazine. Please visit the BBPA website for some accompanying show notes. And until next time, cheers. This is the Beer and Pubcast. For more news from the British Beer and Pub Association, you can follow us on Twitter at Beer and Pub or visit our website, beerandpub.com. <laughs>